Buenas tardes, iglesia. Yeah. Mis hermanos en Cristo. Amén. Saludos, saludos de la iglesia en Chivay. Welcome to the One Association Mobile Tabernacle. You have just arrived in Chivay, Peru. Yeah! Oh, church, I'm excited to be here, and I'm glad the pastor said we do not have a time frame. Okay, I want to let you know now, the brothers and sisters in Chivay are already praying for you guys. They're getting prepared for their service tomorrow, and they ask that you begin to pray for them. And the reason why is because a handful of them already want to come to next year's One Association Conference. Hallelujah! I told him, I said, hold on, don't get too excited. I said, just be faithful, be obedient, continue to do what you're doing, be good disciples, because soon the One Association Conference is coming to Chivai. Yeah. As Pastor said, we're going to make this an international conference. It's not just going to be here, because Brent and I are tired of coming here. Okay? It's about time you come to my house. All right? And listen... Where, I see Nick, where's Judah? Judah, Peyton, where you at? Okay, soon we're going to have this conference in Turkey, the Middle East. We're soon going to have it in Israel. Justin Treister, where you at? We're going to have it in Mexico, Peru, Indonesia. We're ready to go nationwide with this thing, international. We don't want to just be here in the States anymore. So I was thinking when we were praying, we're fighting are we worthy? All these things. And I said to myself, man, if one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, what would happen if I had four mighty men of God pray in Spanish here? So right now I'm looking for Anthony Acevedo. I'm looking for Javier. I'm looking for Carlos. Come on. I'm looking for Gabriel. Pastor Romero, por favor, adelante, por favor. Oramos, oramos en español, por favor. Con fuego de Dios. Con fuego de Dios, hermano. Oh, Padre Celestial, te damos toda la gloria hoy, Dios. Te damos toda la gloria por la nación de Perú, Dios, y todo Sudamérica, Dios. Padre, que dejen la oscuridad, Dios, y que vayan a tu alto hoy, Dios. Que vayan hoy, Dios, a tu alto, Dios, y dejen la oscuridad, Dios. Te damos toda la gloria. Llénanos con tu Espíritu Santo y tu sabiduría, Dios, Padre Celestial. Oh, Padre, gracias, Señor. Oh, Señor, gracias. Absorto, Señor, tu presencia, tu gloria, tu trono, Señor. Gracias, Señor, por este tiempo tan especial. Gracias, Espíritu Santo. Gracias, Dios. Ay, Dios. Gracias, Jesús, por Ricardo, su ministerio, Señor, por Perú y las naciones. Aleluya. 
Papá Celestial, te levantamos tu nombre poderoso aquí, el nombre de Jesucristo aquí, Señor. Tú estás digno de lo que te podemos dar aquí en este lugar, Señor. Venga aquí y caiga con tu Espíritu Santo, Señor. Queremos estar transformados por tu palabra, Señor. Aquí no hay nada que va a parar nosotros para recibir para lo que tú tienes aquí con nosotros, Señor. Tú estás invitado para hacer lo que tú quieres hacer, Señor. Bendito sea tu nombre poderoso. Gracias, Papá Celestial. Sí, Padre, te pedimos, mi Dios, que desciendas en este lugar y que te muevas, papá. Padre, te pido que tu agua viva, papá, brote de los labios de Buddy, papá. Permítele que Ricardo declare tus adoraciones, papá, que declare las maravillas tuyas, padre. Que nos permitas recibir un poco de lo que está pasando en Perú, padre. Que tu espíritu descienda en este lugar y nos eleves a tu trono, papá. Nos permitas recibir de lo que tú estás haciendo allá, papá. Inspíranos y deja que tu espíritu descienda en este lugar. Te lo pedimos en el nombre de Jesús. Padre Celestial, te pido que tú prepares nuestros corazones, Señor. Que nuestros corazones estén listos para recibir tu palabra, Dios. Padre, te pido en el nombre de Jesús ahora mismo, toda cosa que nos esté sacando el desenfoque, toda cosa que no nos permita verte a ti, Señor, quítale de nuestras vidas, Padre. Te pido que unja los labios de nuestro hermano, Señor. Unja sus labios, Padre, para que de su boca salgan palabras de vida, Señor. Que nos edifique, nos prepare y nos impulse a las naciones en el nombre de tu Hijo, Señor. Padre amado, te damos gracias por la familia Abrazo, Padre, que tú has puesto allá a poner su semilla en esta nación, Padre, para que cambie este, para que cambie este país, Padre, para que tú hables, abras los cielos, Padre, y envíe fuego, Padre, a purificar aquellas armas, Señor, que necesitan de ti, Padre. Gracias por esta familia que tú has enviado a cambiar esta nación, Padre. En el nombre de Cristo Jesús, Padre, te damos gracias. Sí, Señor, te pedimos de corazón. Por favor, Señor mío, tú, tú eres nuestro Padre. Te pedimos que, por favor, te sigue bendiciendo Pastor Eric, Pastor Matt and Wade and the rest of the pastors in Indonesia, en Perú, Father, all, to, en todo el mundo, Señor mío. Te pedimos de corazón que los protectes. Retira el enemigo afuera. Él no tiene más que hacer con nosotros. Todos nosotros somos tus hijos. Te queremos, Señor mío, porque tú eres un Padre muy bonito para nosotros. Señor, te, te damos gracias por darnos la oportunidad de venir a, otra vez más aquí a Texas. Gracias, Señor, por darnos a, un, un viaje muy placentero sin tener accidentes. Lo mismo te pedimos, Señor, que nos sigas bendiciendo. Te damos la gloria, la victoria a ti, Señor. Amén. Dios mío, Dios, tú eres un buen padre. Ahorita, en este momento, Dios, pedimos una especial bendición para la iglesia de Ejad. Ahorita, en este momento, que tus ojos estén sobre la gente, cambia sus corazones, Dios, déjales entrar. Nosotros, nosotros dijimos que tú voluntad, Dios, tus planes son seguros, que tu victoria es absoluto, y pedimos que esa gente entre en esa victoria, Dios, haciendo su voluntad. Amén. Amén, amén. You men stay up here for just a second. Congregations, take your seat.
It's difficult to understand the ways in which discipleship magnifies through the generations. And the Lord has just provided us an extraordinary uh, parable. So I want to show you. In the first seven, eight, almost ten years in ministry, if I asked for four men to come and pray, I got one or none. Some of you were there. It's not a joke. Buddy asked for four men, and eight showed up. What you need need to understand is that God will honor this process because he designed it. We are not creating something new. I love the analogy of the light bulb, but that was something that was new. We have rediscovered something that is old, and we are letting it ferment inside of us. Amen. Muchísimas gracias, hermanos. Gracias. Amen. Papa. Amen. Church, if we stopped right here. We'd never do that. We would never do that. We would never do that. But hey, in, in all honesty, <clears throat> the church in Chavai loves you guys. They miss you. For everybody who was there last year and everybody who's been there this year, they miss you. They can't wait to see you again. For those of you that are coming this year, uh, they look forward to you, having you. Uh, when we were coming, they knew we were coming for the conference, but they also knew that we were coming for a family reunion because that's what we told them. So they said, hey, while you're there, be sure you take photos. So we're going to do that right now. Okay, all silliness aside, I can do that with my brother. Why? Because the Lord knows how to make you feel like a king among men, right? He sends you to a nation where they are just as tall as you. Amen. All right. Let's get in the Word. Last I checked, we're supposed to be preaching. This is not open mic night. It is fight night, though. It is fight night. Why? Because we have a main event tonight. We have the heavyweight fight here. We have... The heavy hitters here. We have the heavyweights from a rising church is in the house tonight. Yeah. Nick and Nick. Listen, the worship team, they did an amazing job. They set the stage on fire. And it is our job. It is our job now to keep that fire burning. So I'm going to do my best while I'm up here and then turn it over to Nick and Nick whenever I'm done. Okay, so I want to open up first with a quote from one of my most favorite rabbis. And this is from Rabbi Matt Piro. Where's my brother? Is he in the house? Love you, brother. He said, Talmudium, this is how Jesus established a foundation of disciples and discipleship that is still bearing fruit today. Okay, so I may have lied. He didn't say it that way. Maybe he said something like, hey, say, bro. Uh, Talmudim, you know, Shah, that right there, that makes some more disciples, yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, 
The man is telling the truth. And why? Because it's still going on today. My life is an example of it. And we are building a foundation of discipleship in Chivai, Peru. Who would have ever thought? What can Cajun men do? Listen, I don't know if you've realized, but we have seven pastors of the one association from Louisiana. That just goes to show you what obedient men of God can do, right? It's not about where we've come from, but it's where we're going. Amen. So this year's conference theme is this. It's Christ contemptibles, laying down our lives for the advancement of our brothers. What this means is that we now have to take the responsibility of receiving discipleship, that vision that has been given to us. And we now have the the responsibility of seeing it come to fruition, to seeing the accomplishment of this vision, not only in our lives, but in the lives that the Lord is putting behind us. So let me ask you this. In the last two or three days that you've been here, how many of you have received something about discipleship? Amen. Amen. Now, those of you who did not put your hands up, uh, I presume you're probably new to the congregation. Are you new? Let's try that again. How many of you over the last two or three days have received something for discipleship? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to put this into practice right now. We're not going to wait till tomorrow. We're going to start right here, right now. Because receiving from discipleship is not all about receiving. How many know that? It's about giving. Once you receive, you give. That's why when we freely receive, we freely give. Amen? So we're going to start right now. Pastor Eric, Pastor Wade, and Pastor Matt. Pastor Matt's already standing, but would you three men please stand up? Because we have all received. See, this is a great example of discipleship. You cannot be afraid to be rebuked by your pastors. You got to have the faith like Peter. Okay. Yes. No. Listen. My pastors have not only given me something that is, that is invaluable. Pastor Wade made a plea earlier, or just a suggestion, heavy-headed suggestion. The books back there, all the material, it's just that. It's materials. There's a cost to be paid. However, that's not what is important here. What Pastor Wade is getting at is the discipleship concept. And that, my friends, is invaluable. There's not a price you can pay. There's not an amount that you can put into one association account that would make a difference to any of these men. I know because I lived my life with them for three years. And the reason I'm asking them to stand is because the hard work that these men have put in, not only into my lives, but into every one of your lives. Somehow, their lives have touched your life. This conference here, if you're here today, this conference is touching your life because of these three men, because of the obedience of these pastors, right? This didn't just start three days ago. These brothers have been working on this for weeks and for months. Pastor Eric has traveled all throughout the states, internationally, Indonesia and Peru, to touch our lives. So I think... The least we could do right now, guys, is everyone stand up, give a hand clap, so show some appreciation to what these men of God have done before us. Okay. Uh, and you guys are all welcome back at 1030 to hear my rebuke. Okay. 
Pastor Matt, air hug because I didn't get you. Um, the quality of a man's work is what we've been speaking about. I've heard it almost in every sermon so far. The quality of a man's work. This has been something that's been resonating in my spirit for at least six months now. This comes from 1 Corinthians 3. Let's get there. I'm going to start in verse 11. But it's about the quality of a man's work that's being tested. And it is so important. It is important because... It is the biblical pattern of discipleship that will produce more disciples for the generations to come. This is not something that we're learning that we want to stop with. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which is who? If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. That same fire that was started here on the altar. Pastor Justin prayed about it during his worship set. He said the fire of God on the altar is here. It's here to burn up the offering, the sacrifice that we're going to give the Lord. The Lord is looking for something that is worthy to be burned up. He wants a worthy sacrifice, a worthy offering from us. And it starts with knowing that we have to produce quality work in our discipleship. Okay? He goes on to say, listen to this, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. When I read this, I began to get the revelation, the understanding that it's not a numbers game, guys. We're not concerned about how many disciples we put out. We're, just, we're only concerned with the quality that the men can produce after us. Okay? What good is it if I stood up here and said, Hey, guys, just to let you know, i got 50 disciples right now in Chivai. Yeah, that's amazing. But what if in two years not one of them survives? It's the fire. Exactly. Yeah, that does nothing for us. That does nothing for us. I would rather be like Jesus and have 10, 12, 70 disciples that I know were quality men of God. Men that I know that when I'm long gone will be continuing to produce fruit. They will continue to produce disciple after disciple after disciple. Remember, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. How many more do you need? He goes on to say in verse 14. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Now we know this reward is being stored up for us. Great. One day we will receive that crown of glory. But right now, that reward, that reward is men like me. It's men like you. It's disciples. That is your reward. That's your reward. Everybody's always telling you, oh, brother, don't work right now for your reward. Your reward's in heaven. Yeah, that is true to a certain degree. But I'm working right now to see my reward in Shavai. I don't want to wait till I get to the kingdom. I want to see men of God right now being produced in Shavai so I can see a tangible reward for my hard work, for my efforts, for the fruit of my labor. I want to see that. How many of you want to see that? Amen. Your obedience will leave a lineage of disciples always before the throne of God. 
We'll see that in Jeremiah chapter 35. This is what our goal is. Our goal is that our obedience, Pastor Eric talked about it earlier. Basically, Pastor Eric all day today has preached my message, but he did it like in 10 seconds. Unfortunately, it's going to take me an hour. So let's get to Jeremiah chapter 35, and we're going to start in verse 18. When you get there, say, Ehad. Amen. Amen. Okay. Then Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You have obeyed the command of your forefather, Jehonadab, and have followed all his instructions and have done everything he ordered. Therefore, see when you see the word therefore, see what it's there for. Therefore, therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, has said. Jehonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a descendant to serve me. Oh, man. One day, one day, not only do I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hear this right here. I want to know that my descendants have never left the throne room of God. Not once. Not ever, not never. My descendants, whether they're spiritual sons, physical daughters, makes me no difference. I just want to know that my descendants are in the throne room of God, starting now and for an eternity. Our obedience to God and the quality of our discipleship are the keys of generational results. Like I said earlier, we're looking for quality, not quantity. It does not matter how many we have if they're not producing fruit. I didn't tell you, but the name of the title of the message or sermon or whatever is called Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And the reason being is because of this. The blood comes from this quote. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This quote was first coined by a second century Christian author. His name was Tertullian. And he wrote a book, and the book was called The Apology of Tertullian for the Christians. See, it was a pleading for Christianity and the advancement of the kingdom. And that's what he said in it. He said, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. He writes this. I love this quote out of the book. He writes this to the Roman governor of his province. And it was about the topic of persecution, about it failing to destroy Christianity. And he said this, I quote, Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to the dust. Your injustice is the proof that we are innocent. The more we are hewn down by you, the more numerous do we become. The blood of the Christian is seed. He says the Christian blood that you spill, you and I, is like the seed you sow. It springs forth from the earth again and again. Yeah, he goes on to say it fructifies the more. When I read that, I thought this brother's got to know Pastor Hutchinson. Because that's a word from him right there. It fructifies the more. Say it with me. It fructifies the more. It's persecution. Persecution is what he's talking about. 
Okay? Persecution typically does two things for the church. One, it usually purifies the church. Two, it usually causes us to walk closer to the Lord. I can tell you I found out both of those things recently in my life as my family is living in Peru. I know my brother Brent Vincent. Uh, he can definitely attest to this. He actually said it in his message. When you're undergoing a life of daily sacrifice, a sacrificial lifestyle where you are receiving persecution in different ways. This isn't talking about just having a beheading and being martyred in the, in the town plaza. But when you're living a life of persecution, a life worthy of the gospel, you're going to draw closer to the Father. And you're going to change it. You're going to change your prayer just like Brent said. You're going to stop saying, oh, God, God. You're going to start crying out, Abba, Father. You're going to start crying out, Abba, Father, because when you're in need, you need your father. See, I'm a fortunate man tonight. I have, I have three fathers in the house. I have three fathers in the house. I have a spiritual father, and I cry out to him, Abba, Father. I have my physical father, my biological father. He's sitting right over here. Dad, raise your hand. Amen. I have my spiritual father over here, Pastor Barnabas Stevens. So I'm a, I'm a lucky man. I, and I don't want to say lucky, but I'm blessed. And I cherish this, that I have three fathers. I have a spiritual father, biological father, and a spiritual. Heavenly, spiritual, and, and biological. Um, if you cannot say the same in your life, you can start today. You can start today when you leave this conference, and you can have all three yourself. I can tell you what, having three yet one, oh, it's something. It's something when you have three yet one, especially when that seed resides within you. It's something special. That's why you're here at the conference. See, it's a, it's a way of life. It's a character. We're not just talking about a discipleship program, a pattern. See, Jesus was the pattern. He was his own discipleship program. He was his own discipleship. Think about this. Hey, Zach, uh, Jesus here. Say, um, you want to be discipled, brother? I have a great program. It's not one of these on scene, seen on TV. It's not 1995. That's it right here. This is me. I'm your discipleship program right here. What do you think a disciple said? You know, you remember, you remember the conversation with Nathaniel? Nathaniel said, Nazareth? Nazareth? What good could come from Nazareth? I tell you what good came from, uh, amen, just like Louisiana. What good can come from Louisiana? All I could say is you're all here because of Louisiana. Okay. But think about what he said. Nathaniel said, what good could come from Nazareth? What good could come from Nazareth is today's discipleship program. That's where it's come from. Jesus himself came from Nazareth. He was the discipleship program then. He is now. He always will be. Abimbola, where you're at, brother? Hebrews 13, 8. You're in the house? Say it again. Amen. Jesus is our example. It is a lifestyle that we're looking for. See, the back of my shirt says it right here. It says, 
it's a way of life. It's not just what we preach. Now, if you can't read Spanish, pray for the interpretation. <clears throat> it's a way of life that makes a martyr. I want you to understand that. It's the way of life that makes a martyr. It is not just a one-time beheading. It's not a quick killing. It's not, it's not just, let me run out on Highway 6 and, Hallelujah, Jesus, and then get run over. Okay, you died as a martyr. Praise the Lord. What does the Great Commission say? It says, go into the nations and make disciples. Don't go on the Highway 6 and die. doesn't say that. Make disciples. That's the reason we're here. It's a sacrificial lifestyle. It's something that we have to learn to do every single day. Even the pagans realized and recognized that the blood was the seed of advancing the kingdom and allowing those behind us to step on or over us and step on our shoulders to go much further than we have ever uh, than those before us have gone. So we're to step on their shoulders and go and advance the kingdom of God much further than they did. It's not about who's better. It's not about who's done more. It's about advancing the kingdom of God here. We're not in a competition. We're not in a competition. It's not, well, look how much they have done. How much have they done? How big is their congregation? It's about the kingdom of God being advanced. See, we cannot advance any further than our brothers before us. Let me show you something. Where's Where's my marine brothers? Gabriel and Rosales. Come up here real quick, brothers. I want to show them. I want to give them a demonstration here. These brothers were in the Marines. They were Marines for life. I say they were because once they found Jesus, they laid that foolishness aside and they picked up their cross. They picked up their cross to follow Jesus. And now these men are running after the cross. They will go in arm's way to lay their lives down for me. I know it because I know them. It's a lifestyle that we live. I'll do the same for them. But let me show you. Right here, brother. Come see, game. Okay. So we're on the battlefield. These guys are in the front line. At some point, they're going to have to lay their lives down so that I can advance. I cannot get past these guys. One, I can't even see over Paul. But (laughs) the other is that I can't get through here unless these men are ready to lay their lives down on the battlefield. That's the only way that I can ever advance. Now, how long do they want to stay in the front lines to get all the glory? How long do they want to be recognized? Oh, we won the war. We won the war. I'm afraid to tell you, we're never going to see the war end until Jesus returns. Lay your lives down. Lay your lives down. This is how one brother can step over another, step on a brother, (laughs) or step over him and advance the kingdom of God. When they decide that they're ready to lay their lives down, then I can advance the kingdom of God. No different than what Pastor Eric said earlier. Thank you, brothers. No different than what Pastor Eric said earlier. You get a stage or you get a, a sage on a stage... At some point, he has to get off the stage and allow his brother to get on. That's the only way that the kingdom of God will be advanced. You can't do it alone. That's why I had my brothers come up to pray. When I learned what serious discipleship was, and I got to Peru, I told Kim, I'm done fighting alone. I've done it for years, and I'm not doing it anymore. 
True discipleship will teach you to rely on your brothers. And these men, they came up to pray for me. They have been in the battle for two years. Some have been on the battlefield and some have called me relentlessly. So these men know what it's like to be on the battlefield. And I'm not afraid to be in the battle with them. I'm not going to do it alone. And I don't recommend that you do it either. Because it won't be long before you don't last. The enemy is looking to destroy us. But remember, the blood of the mortar is the seed of the church. That's what I call a self-sacrificing life style right there. So I want to introduce you to the very first mortar, a brother who was, or it was, DCD. He lived a very sacrificial lifestyle. This brother is Abel, and he's in Genesis 4. Let's turn there. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Like many of you, like many of you, we have read this story for years and years, and we looked at Abel as being the first murder in the Bible. He is, depending on how you look at it. But when I begin to read this, I realize Abel is actually the very first martyr. The very first martyr. He died of faithfulness, obedience, and his love for the Lord. Listen to this. Verse 8 says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Now, exactly. I'm from Louisiana. Many of you from Texas. Nothing ever good happens when you say, Hey, let's go out in the field. (laughs) One of two things is going to happen. Two people are going to walk in the field. One's going to walk out. That is not a good way to start a conversation with somebody. If you hear that while you're here in Texas, don't do it. Don't do it. Roll up your window. Yeah, amen. Ride with one of these brothers that's packing. Okay. Uh, He says, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. See, nothing ever happens good in the field. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Where where is your brother Abel? I don't know. I don't know. That's what he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Then he turns and asks the Lord a question. Hey, am I? What? Why are you asking me? I'm not. What am I? My brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? See, this is one of those rhetorical questions. It's like when I was a kid, I remember my dad would say, boy, you want me to slap you? And I say, wait a minute. Okay, I got two choices. I could say yes or I could say no. Either way, I'm going to get a slap. So, see, it's the same thing that happens here with Cain. He asked, the Lord asked him, hey, uh, what have you done? And he's just waiting. Like, it's not like it's a secret. There's only four people on earth at this time. Four people on earth. There's Cain, there's Abel, and there's parents, Adam and Eve. I mean, uh, well, I just killed my brother, so it probably wasn't him. I mean, so... God knows. God knows. Guys, how many times in our own lives we've done the same thing to God? We're not fooling him. How many excuses have we made when we're trying to make a sacrificial lifestyle for ourselves? When we're sacrificing, we're sacrificing, and then it comes to that point, an excuse comes up. Do you think that is fooling the Lord? Not at all. Not at all. He knows. Because listen to what he says. He said, shh, shh. Listen, your brother's blood 
it cries out to me from the ground. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. That's what happens when a righteous man of God dies. You can kill us, but our blood still cries out to the Lord. We still have a voice. Saints, don't be afraid to die. Don't be afraid to die because you still have a voice. Your blood is the seed of the church. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Abel, the fourth man on earth, lived a holy life, very, very righteous, faithful. A few verses before this, in verse 2 and 4, he says, uh, Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks. He was a pastor. He was a shepherd. And Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel, was, uh, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel. And his offering. So see, we, we see that Abel lived a life of obedience, of sacrificial living. What I find amazing about this is that our brother did not have any, any good example. His parents, first sinners, they didn't set a good example for him. Uh, his brother killed him. But amidst all of that, even without having a good example... He was faithful to the Lord because of the things that he did. So, church, I have to ask you, what is your excuse? What is your excuse? You have rabbis. You have parents. You have siblings. You have examples. How long is it going to take you to get on board with the discipleship program? How long is it going to take before you press into your pastors? How long before you follow in their footsteps, receiving the dust from them? How long? How long? This isn't something to take lightly. One day the Lord might bring you into a field. You may not be asked, but he might bring you into a field. Don't walk into the field and be like Abel. Now is the time to start. Your obedience can start tonight. Your faithfulness can start tonight. His blood still speaks today. Turn to Hebrews 11.4. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.4. Pastor Zach just gave me this scripture. We're going to use it. Hebrews 11.4. <clears throat> Amen. Pastor Zach, would you read that while you're there? By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than God. And that's why we need our brothers. My brother needs me, and I need him. Okay, Hebrews eleven four. By faith, he says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Somebody say, by faith. By faith. 
Amen. Abel. One of the least talked about and mentioned characters in the Bible, but yet his blood still cries out. You realize in chapter 4, he's, bo- he's born in, in verse 2, and he dies in verse 8. This brother lived a life of six verses in the Bible. Six verses. I want to encourage you, saints, with this. It's time to start taking your life more serious. Why? Because it doesn't matter how long, how short. The point is, we have all been given the Great Commission to go forth and make disciples. It doesn't stop with you. And you don't know how many verses your life is going to be. You do not know. You might get a chapter. You might get a whole book. Who knows? Praise the Lord. You might be like our brother here, and you might end up with six verses. Either way, you have to have something to show for your life. That is how we're going to be put through the fire. We're going to be put through the fire according to the discipleship process. Did you produce disciples, yes or no? I don't care about all the good things you've done. What did they say? Oh, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We did this. We did that. We built all these fancy structures. And the Lord said what? Yeah, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. Because you're not being obedient to the very commands that he's given you. You're working for your own kingdom. You're not working for the kingdom of God. We have to leave a lineage of disciples before the throne room of God. Leonard Ravenhill. I love this brother's quotes. He said, the early church was married to poverty, prison, and persecution. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. Remember what we heard earlier. They dress to impress. That, my friends, is not DCD. That is not DCD. However, our tank tops are DCD. That's for Pastor Justin. Jesus is our example of persecution as he shed his blood on the cross for the fertilization of the seed of Christianity. See, Jesus, he understood this because he originated it. He is the seed. He is the seed like we are the seed. If you are in Christ Jesus and he is in you, you are his seed. He is the seed of Abraham by way of the promise. We are that same seed because we're in Christ Jesus. He understands that shedding some blood is not the end. He still has a voice even today. That's why we're here. He has a voice. You have a voice. Shedding some blood produces seed after seed after seed after seed. The blood of the martyrs requires potential before sacrifice. Let me say that again. The blood of the martyrs requires potential before sacrifice. Again, we're not talking about martyrdom, a beheading. We're talking about a way of life. We're talking about daily sacrifice, a sacrificial lifestyle every single day. The potential is the sweat, the blood, sweat, and tears. Why is it the sweat? How many of you are familiar with sweat equity? All right. My brother Daniel right here, he knows sweat equity. He just started 300 contracting, a little infomercial, um, 300 contracting. The Lord has given him this vision. My brother has worked tirelessly day in and day out for weeks, for months. Why? 
Because he knows that it has potential. He knows what God has ordained this company for. It's not for him. It's not for any earthly treasures. It is to see disciples made. It's to support the kingdom of God. And so he's willing to put in some sweat equity to see this potential come to pass. See, we have to have this same attitude when it comes to making disciples. We have to be able to see the potential in people. God has seen the potential in men for years. We're just slow to catch up to it. Let's start with <clears throat> let's start with Jeremiah's calling. Jeremiah, I think, is a great example. In, in Jeremiah chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 6. This here, I think, is a great example of God's pattern of seeing potential in men. Here in this, uh, here in this story, Jeremiah is nothing but a child, but God sees potential in him. Listen to this, <clears throat> starting in verse 6. Jeremiah says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand. He touched his mouth and he said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today that I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. See, Jeremiah, like many of us, I know because I was in that boat. We do not feel confident enough. We do not feel worthy enough for the call that God gives us. God sees potential in us. Praise the Lord that God sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves. See, at times we need to have the same eyes and mind of Christ. But before we can build up and before we can plant, we have to do all of these things. Where are you at, JJ? JJ, check this out. Uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build up. Brother, that's our lifestyle. That is our lifetime mezuzah, is to build up things. But before we can do that, we have to tear everything down. And I don't think at times this is not speaking just in the physical. I think it's speaking spiritually. You think about it from a discipleship aspect. I'm learning it now because I'm on the other side. But when your disciples come to you, you're tearing up. You're unrooting things. Uh, you're tearing things down. You're trying to destroy things in their life. Why? So then you can rebuild and you can plant. A physical plant. Pastor Eric did it for me. He did it for Brent. Not only did he help us tear some things down and destroy things in our lives, but he helped us to rebuild them, and then we were planted. In what did it say earlier? I appoint you over nations. See, each and every one of you, the Lord is calling you somewhere. Okay? The Lord has appointed me and my family over Peru, Pastor Brent over Indonesia. And like I said earlier, there's men going to Turkey. There's men going to Israel. Where and what nation has the Lord appointed you to? That's what we need to be thinking. We don't need to be thinking about here and now today. What has God promised you? Because it takes a process of tearing something down so then you can rebuild it and then be planted. 
See, we have to see and acknowledge the calling and potential of the man as God sees it. This is our job to move forward with discipleship. Because so many times these men, like myself, are underestimated and not looked over or, or we're looked over. Is Ray Pena in the house? There you are. <clears throat> My brother Ray. A little over a year ago, this brother was camped and living in the enemy's camp. Now, he has uprooted his camp, and he has now found his place among the arrangement of the tribes, and he is living next door to his pastors. This is a brother that has potential. Now, you might be saying, well, well, Pastor, we, we can't all move next door to our pastors because, like, the property's taken up. And you can thank Pastor Mor- uh, Morrison for that. A little prophecy there. Elder Morrison. Okay, so I'll tell you this. The next best thing is this. Live with your pastor. Live in his house. If you can't live next to him, live in his house. Now, that's discipleship. Move in. Whatever you have to do. Eddie. Eddie from uh, Rising. Eddie, I want to tell you, brother, you're a man with potential. Do not look in your own eyes, but look from the eyes of Christ, from what God is calling you to, brother. Cesar, Cesar, Cesar from Arising as well. Brother, you are a man with potential. I know it. I know it. Mallory, Mallory from Submission Ministries. She is a woman with potential. See, this goes both ways. This isn't just men. It's not just women. It's children of God. It's men and women of God. God has potential for every one of you. I remember Javier when he was in Peru with me. Man, we were talking, and he, was, he wasn't quite sure what his direction was, wasn't quite sure what his potential was. He knew he had something, but not real sure. Now, not only does he have potential, not only does he have vision, the Lord has put with him a Barnabas. This brother is on the fast track. The Lord has something for Javier, and he is doing it. It's Discipleship 101. He's taking this call serious. The Javier that I saw in Peru is not the Javier that is here now. And how many months ago was that? Three, four months ago. I mean, if you just would submit yourself to your leaders, submit yourself to your pastor, but more importantly, your obedience and submission to the Lord is what it boils down to. Amen, pastor. These men, they have potential. And my list could go on and on. I have a bunch of you in mind. These are just the guys I talked to yesterday or today. But there's so many of you that are on this list. You have potential. You have potential. Look at King David. We've been talking about him all day. King David started off just like Abel. He was in the fields. He was a pastor. He went from being a pastor, being called out of the field, to doing what? Just like we just read. He was appointed over nations. God raised this man up because he had potential. God saw potential in this man's life, even though he was not perfect. I fit that billet of an an imperfect man that had potential, that was seen by someone else in the eyes of God. And now because of that, I have been appointed to a nation. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. This discipleship pattern started with Jesus. But I have to say, like many of you, I felt the same way, being overlooked. And, and I can't thank Pastor Eric enough because this man saw potential in me when no one else did. Yeah. 
He's the one who gave me a chance. He gave me an opportunity because he was seeing through the eyes and the mind of Christ. He took what someone else's trash, brought it into his house, and it became his treasure. He got to see his reward here on earth. And the reward is not finished. The reward is not finished because I'm looking to kill a thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand. I want my reward to go further than his reward. Not for bragging rights, but because that's what the word of God tells us to do. Stand on your brother's shoulders and go further than he did. I'm doing the same thing in Peru. I want Santiago. I want baby Santiago to catch me up one day, stand on my shoulders and go further than I did. Zach and I were talking about that. What an amazing testimony that in 10, 15 years, his son could be doing ministry with baby Santiago. Oh, man, the kingdom of God. We don't even begin to understand it. I just want to share with you a little bit of my testimony because it is the perfect lineage of discipleship from start to finish. Just real quick, I got saved in 2007, December 27th, the best birthday present my wife ever received. I want to show you how the one association was at work even before we even begin to think of these things. This happened at King's Harvest with Pastor Justin and his wife, Lynn Johnson. Lynn has been a faithful woman of God since 2003 to begin to speak the word of God into my life, even when I didn't want to hear it. Lynn, are you in here? Where's Lynn Johnson? I can remember running on the track at school with Lynn. We're running, and she's preaching, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Let's get going. And then at King's Harvest, I can remember that night, 9.30 at night, October 27, 2007, Pastor Justin praying with me to receive salvation. I can thank Pastor Hutchinson for driving me there. See how the kingdom of God works? We've been doing this in my life since 2003. I want you guys to understand that this is not something that just happened overnight. God's hand has been in our lives since we were even thought of being born. And he's appointed us over nations. See, in 2007, after salvation, I remember visiting at LCM. Pastor Eric walked up to me during um, worship service. He said, hey, brother, I have a prophecy for you. I'm like, okay, whatever that is. I just got saved, had no clue. He goes... He said to me, I see you feeding the nations. I was like, man, I love cooking, jambalaya, gumbo, like whatever. I'm thinking, I mean, I'm being serious because I had no clue what that meant. And so after after talking more, learning, ah, feeding the nations spiritually. Now I'm doing it. But at the time, I had no clue. I remember being in his living room for the very first inaugural one association meeting. It wasn't even a conference yet. It wasn't even an organization. It wasn't an association. And I'm like, what am I doing in this living room with all these pastors? Like, just visiting for the weekend and this is what happens. Go forward. I'm in submission ministries for the very first one association conference. Pastor Zeke. Amazing. Again, I'm still not 100% sure. Okay, Lord, I know something's going on here, but I'm not quite sure. Set a fire. We, we heard it tonight. 2015 is when I'm standing in worship and we're playing this song. 
no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be. Start a fire. I'm like, Lord, I want more of you. I want this fire within me. No place I'd rather be. And the Lord says, yeah, your feet are right where they need to be. You're asking where to be? It's right here. From that time on, it's been history. We moved. 2015, LCM, began discipleship. Pastor Eric, like I said, seeing the potential that I had, begin to pour into me, begin to sacrifice his life day in and day out because he saw potential in me. I remember one time I grabbed one of his Bibles. I think it's his very first Bible sitting on the piano in his office and um, open up to the very back. And there's a prophecy from December 8th, 1994. That's before some of you were even born. 1994, December 8th. And it said this. It said, you will go to Peru. This is in my pastor's Bible in 1994, along with the scripture from John 14, 12. You will do even greater things than these. Man, when I read that, I can't tell you the feeling that I had to know the favor of God that was on my life, that was on my pastor's life. The obedience of men of God. What will that do? What will that do? We're talking about a prophecy that is 23 years old. 23 years old. Listen, how many of you get a prophecy and in two weeks it doesn't come to pass? You forget about it. You call God a liar. Oh, this is never going to happen. I don't have potential. 23 years. 23 years. And I stand before you today to fulfill that prophecy. See, the other thing about this prophecy, guys, is that so many times the Lord prophesies something to us or someone else does. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's for me. Don't know when, but it's for me. The prophecy was not wrong. My brother has been to Peru almost more times than I have. Um, So he has been to Peru. The prophecy was accurate. But what the Lord meant was that he was going to send one of his spiritual sons to Peru. He was going to send a spiritual son to Peru to continue the prophecy of 23 years. Church, this is real. This is not make-believe. This is not something for you to feel good about. I want you to hear that you have potential. Say with me, I have potential. If you're sitting on a prophecy right now, Where's Nick? There you are. This brother's been praying and trying for a boy to have a son from a prophecy he received, and they just had a son. Amen. Amen. Do not give up on your prophecy. Do not give up on your potential. If the Lord sees it, he can reveal it to you. Now, this, this allows me the great honor and privilege to put some blood in the offering by sweating through my potential and now crying tears of sacrifice as I sow seeds in Shavai that will last for generations. See, blood, sweat, and tears. The tears is because of the sacrifices, the daily life sacrifices. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how big you are. I don't care if you've never cried in your life. But when you get close to the Lord and you start enduring hardship, persecution, daily struggles, all for the glory of the kingdom, it'll bring you to tears. 
It'll make you get on your knees and cry like a baby. And it doesn't matter who's looking. It doesn't matter who's watching. Because it's all for the glory of God. Hmm. Tears of sacrifice. Church, is your sacrifice and your offering much like Cain not worthy of being put on the altar? Tonight you can change it. Your obedience, your faithfulness. It's almost like getting a restart. It's like hitting the restart button. The Lord's not done with you. That's why you're here. He's saying you have potential. I can see it. I know it. I've put men of God, I've put pastors, rabbis in your life to help open your eyes. One of the brothers, Pastor Romero, he prayed that, if I'm not mistaken. He said, open our eyes. Open our eyes. Yes, Lord, open our eyes. We're so closed-minded. Our eyes, we walk around in the darkness. We walk around with our eyes closed. Lord, if you would just open them. The potential we might see in our own selves. You can change it by your obedience and your faithfulness. In 1988, there was a singer, Christian singer. His name was Steve Green. He wrote a song called Faithful. It was on an album called Find Us Faithful. This song, it spoke about the faithfulness of the martyrs, of the Christian blood. It encouraged the faithful ones to keep up the cause. The lyrics in it go like this. It says, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Say, find us faithful. faithful. How many of you want to be found faithful in the eyes of the Lord? He says, may the fire of our devotion light their way. Oh, God, if our fire could light the way so they can find us faithful. But not for our sake, it's for your sake. It's for your glory. He finishes off the chorus by, by saying these words. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And they want to be found faithful. I think David and his son Solomon, we spoke about them all day. We're going to keep it up. It's going to be in 1 Chronicles 21. I think they are a great example of blood, sweat, and tears. David shed a lot of blood. Not all of it was his. A lot of it was the enemy. God saw potential in David. But here in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we see the type of sacrifice, the sacrificial life that he led. We're going to start in verse 24. It says, But King David replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, or sacrifice a burnt offering offering that cost me nothing. See, David gets it. Even amidst his sin, he gets it. Oh, I want blood in the offering. No, I don't want it any other way. I want to pay the full price. See, that's the problem with the modern church today. So many just want to pay for a book of discipleship, and then they feel like they've been discipled. Yeah, there's a lot of things money can buy. Discipleship in the blood of Christ is not one of them or two of them. You can buy a lot of things, but you're not going to buy that. If we look into chapter 22, it begins with this. It says, David declaring, 
The house of the Lord God is to be here. That's what God told me. In Chivai. Buddy, the house of the Lord is going to be here. You move your family here. He didn't say take Chivai to America. No, it's, it's a sacrificial lifestyle. He said, you're going to be here. You're going to put my house here. This is where my tabernacle dwells. I want blood, sweat, and tears here. Yes, Lord. Those of you who have visited Chivai, it's not a metropolis. We sacrifice every day to live there. How easy could it be for me to say, oh, yes, Lord, we'll live in Arequipa. We'll live in Lima. It's Peru. But that's not what the Lord said. The Lord said, I want my house here. I want my house here. He goes on in verse 5. He recognizes that his son Solomon, he's too young, he's too inexperienced. And he knows that the house has to be built a certain way with a certain amount of excellence. And he's not willing to compromise. What does he say? I need to begin extensive preparations before my death. Before this brother, Pastor Eric said earlier, on his deathbed, he gave a charge to his son. He said, don't let the enemy survive. You destroy them all. Do not let the enemy, the, the enemy survive. And here he's given his son a charge right after that. In verse 6, he gives him a charge. He says, Solomon, you build this house. You build this house. I have done the work. I have done all the extensive work I've prepared. I've worked day in and day out. But now you build it. See, that's a sacrificial lifestyle. Most people want to build their house. They want to erect a mansion so they can be seen for who they are. This is laying your life down for those coming behind you, not only to go further, but to advance the kingdom of God. I can relate because right now, this is what the Lord has shown me in Chivai. You are there to build a foundation. You're there to lay the foundation, put the footing in the ground, and then I'm going to have someone else build it. See, everything that we're doing could be for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I don't know. I could have three, four verses in my life. I don't know. I do know that the Lord said, build the foundation, build the foundation with quality work. Quality work. Don't worry about what's coming behind you. You worry about building the foundation. Guys, I can tell you that in itself is a struggle. Because your flesh wants to show somebody something. Hey, brother, what you doing in Peru? Yeah, I wish I could show you. I wish I could show you. But what I can show you is my disciples, like Pastor Brent said. I can show you my disciples because that's what we're building. We're building disciples, not houses. Verse 10 finishes up with this. Is the Lord speaking. He says what? He says, Solomon, he will be my son and I will be his father. See, a great understanding here. He's got three yet one fathers, just like I do. He's got a heavenly father, a spiritual father, and a biological father here. That's the pattern, guys. That's the pattern. Amen. See, to me, this is a great example of standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before you to be able to advance the kingdom of God. Exactly what John fourteen twelve said, the prophecy. You're going to do greater things than these. So ask the Lord, 
What do you need to sacrifice more in your life for discipleship that will benefit the ones behind you to step on or over to sacrifice for the kingdom? See, right now, in a very natural state, you can look behind you and see someone sitting behind you. Zeke has his brother sitting right behind him. Spiritual brother. Zeke would lay down his life in a heartbeat for him. I know it. He sees him in the natural and he knows. What about the people on the back row? You might think, well, pastor, if they turn around, they're not going to see anybody. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point. God does not care who's coming behind you. It's about laying your life down for those that are coming behind you. It is not your decision. It's not for you to decide, is it this person or that person that I lay my life down for? No, it's for whoever is coming behind you. I'm working, I'm toiling, I'm laboring for those coming behind me in Chavai. I don't know who it is. Right now, we're still praying for ministry partners. Anybody want to go to Peru? And so, we do not know who's coming behind us. Right now, honestly, guys, Kim and I are not concerned. We do not care. We're only concerned with what God has put before us, and that is build the foundation. Be willing to sacrifice your life every single day for those that are coming behind. I may not see them, I may not know them, but it doesn't matter. It's for the kingdom of God to be built, not for my house to be built. Church, we have to die to three things in here. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to your rights and your freedoms. And you have to die to your own plans. Recall the words of Jesus from John four thirty four. What did he say? My food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Okay, period. Bumper sticker. Because that's all we ever hear. But let's look. What does he say? And to finish his work. Oh, see, saints, that's the part that we miss. And to finish his work. It's not just, just merely to come and to do what he's doing. It's to finish his work. That's why we raise up disciples in this place. We raise them up so they can go further than us and continue the work that our Heavenly Father has sent us here to do. The seed, the blood. The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. John twelve twenty four tells us, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but yet a single seed. But if it dies, oh, look at this, it produces many seeds. Brothers and sisters, are you trying to be the seed that survives? Are you trying to be the lone seed? Are you ready to die? Therefore, you can make more seed, more seed, and more seed. We have to die to self. That is what is taking the responsibility for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God to be advanced. You are the seed, like I said earlier. You are the seed by way of Jesus Christ. But don't forget what Peter said. Peter said you are the imperishable seed. The imperishable seed. You can't die. Not only can you not die, but it's your responsibility to keep this thing alive. The imperishable seed that never dies, that continues to work 
on producing fruit after fruit, disciple after disciple. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Pastor, I want to close with uh, Revelation 6 because our brother John also saw the blood of the martyrs. And if it's okay, I would like... Like I said, I'm tired of fighting alone. I don't want to do this by myself. I would like to have all the pastors of the One Association come up. Can we do that? Or you want to just pray for them? Let's build the altar call for the next meeting. Okay. Because we're right up against our time. Sounds good. Okay. Church, what you see before you, what you see before you is the blood of the mortars that is the seed of the church. These men are willing to lay down their life, to see that the blood that they spill continues to produce fruit after fruit, seed after seed, disciple after disciple. Revelation 6, 9 says this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. That's the blood of the martyrs. Because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They called out in a loud voice. How long? How long, Lord? Holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge your blood. Then each of them was given a white robe. It was the mantle that Pastor Zeke preached about. They were giving a white robe and he told him, Wait a little longer. Wait until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been killed. Oh, church, how much longer are you going to wait before you die? Before you can die, before you die to reach the ranks of these men? How much longer are you going to wait? The Lord sees the blood flowing from the altar. He's calling us to a whole new level. It's time, church, that we die to sow some seed in our lives. This is such an interesting moment in our history. We're not saying that we've achieved anything. What we're saying is that we expect you to achieve more than us. It's also an awkward thing that at a conference, probably the single greatest revelation was written into a children's book on the back. uh, How many pages is it, Teresa? 14 pages, and you will learn more than most churches in our town already know. And they're illustrated. Every 
good thing that comes to us in the kingdom comes because we die on behalf of someone else. I want to walk back through just a very few elements of Buddy's testimony, then we're going to let this sit on you. He had to get saved at King's Harvest Church. Otherwise, the people of Javai are, well, to hell in a handbasket. He had to have somebody who would become Remnant Church take him to the meeting. Or else the people of Javai are held in a handbasket. He had to have people at Life Changing Ministries complete his discipleship. Or else the people of Javai are held in a handbasket. Probably the church that's visited the most is the Arising Church, although submission's working at it very hard. Those aren't competitions. Those are our brothers all coming in. It takes every one of us to get anything done. And there's so much more to do, and we need y'all to do it. Okay. You can go to a lot of conferences where the people are on the billboards. They, We're recording, aren't we? We'll do it anyway. They wear their faggoty white suits. But it's the last time they'll be dressed in white. And they tell you how great they are. What we are very specifically saying is we are the very least, the entrance bar, the bottom of the rung, and we expect much better of you. That's what we're saying. Could y'all stand to your feet? If you don't digest this word, then there may be a day that it's played back for you. And the Lord might find your life undigestible. We aim to push you towards hot or cold. Because he finds anything else indigestible. going to come back here at four o'clock and we will have our last session. I really kind of want to do an altar call right now. I kind of, I feel that. And I kind of think that if it's a genuine and real hunger, that it'll show up here in an hour. I think sometimes things just come too fast, too easy. We need to learn to hurt, to grind in it a little bit. back at four for our eighth message speaking of eighth message eight years ago today my wife had a vision that we misunderstood we thought we wouldn't even be here the best things happen when you don't expect to be here one more one week one more month one more year you live as if you don't have a life except the day that he gave you it's, it's an amazing advantage I would consider trying it I were you. When we pray, we're going to first ask 
that the Lord will show us, we've been saying it again, how to become devotees to death, the death of our carnal nature, the death of the love of the world, the death of pride, the death of needing to be legitimized by the garbage that is all around us. Not only should you not love it, it should make you sick. You should hate wickedness and love righteousness. We're going to pray about that. Then, on this wall, and I'm turned around. I messed up and took up this, the 20 flights of stairs. And I've been dizzy ever since. Apparently, I'm skinny on the outside now and still fat around my internal organs. On this wall, we're going to ask families to move towards that wall that have extra space in their cars that can help some folks get from this hotel tomorrow morning to our church and back because there's lots of people have come in from out of town if you have space in your car and you'll be going from this hotel to the church and don't mind and let's be honest if you do mind you probably don't belong in church with us and don't mind bringing people back here if you'll go over on that wall, that'll let all of the guests go, well, you know, I need a ride, and they have a ride, and what if we acted like brothers, okay? That, that's going to go on against that wall right after we're done praying. Um, I'm also going to suggest that once we've run out of all of those families, and we probably won't, that it'd be a stupid idea to get an Uber and be alone. If you do end up, with an Uber. Our estimation is that it's less than $5 per person. You don't want to pay $5 to come to a church service with us. You probably don't want, you probably don't belong with us. Okay. Because we're going to ask an awful lot more of you than $5 when you get there. And I'm not talking about your money. Tomorrow at LCM, these men all will be preaching. It will be a little bit of a battle royal. And they're going to be teaching about the Talmudim process. And they're finding out about it now. Because that's how we do it. Would y'all like to pray? Soon as we're done praying, families with space in their cars, families willing families that are not serial killers and you're not in danger will be against that wall if you find yourself needing a ride tomorrow go find one of them talk to them you're your they're your brothers it should not be the pastors that have to arrange that kind of stuff that would be like we were nursery school and we're much better than that y'all ready to pray caleb come pray for us Lord, I pray that we can offer up an acceptable offering to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, because you are worthy of our praise. Lord, you're worthy of the sacrifice, the years of faithfulness, God. The years of fruit that that faithfulness will produce, God. You're worthy of us putting it on the offering and setting it on fire, God. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to die. We thank you for the opportunity to be crucified, Lord. Crucify our flesh, Lord Jesus. Take our lives, Jesus. 
Today, we give our lives to you, Lord Jesus, so that tomorrow, those behind us can take it further than we ever could, Lord.